Our reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans uh, in chapter 3, reading from verses 20, verse 21 through to 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Great. Well, I wonder... I want you to have a little think about it. I wonder if you were to think about a good person, somebody who's really good, I wonder who comes to mind. Maybe your mum, Mother's Day, maybe your grandma, maybe your grandfather, somebody that you know maybe that's at church, maybe somebody you know in your life, an amazing teacher, somebody that you think about who is really, really good. Have a little think. Who's good? Who comes to mind when you think that was a good person? She was good. He was good. Now that was a great person. Who comes to mind? Mother Teresa, maybe. William Wilberforce, maybe. Who is it that comes to mind when you think of a good person? Now I want you to imagine, and when you think about somebody who acts really bad. So somebody who behaves really badly, has really bad behavior. Somebody that actually you wouldn't describe as a good person. You'd probably describe them as quite a bad, sort of badly behaved person. Who comes to mind when you think of a bad person? Maybe a bully, somebody that bullied you growing up at school. Maybe somebody who actually did something wrong to you, somebody who harmed you. Somebody who got away with something that they shouldn't have. Maybe someone we know of, maybe a terrorist. Maybe someone that we're like, wow, surely they're bad. That's a bad example of a person. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your boss. I don't know who it is. But I want you to think about a good person, an example, and an example of a bad person, if you like, and put them on a scale. So maybe the sort of terrorist or, or somebody that's behaved really bad, in your opinion, in your eyes, they'd be kind of there. And then think about, well, maybe, you know, a good person, they're all right, they're kind of maybe there. And then maybe kind of place a person that you think, well, they're great, they're, they were kind of there. And then maybe Mother Teresa's kind of there, or some of these big figures that are sort of heroes of ours, William Wilberforce is maybe there. And just keep placing them higher and higher, and think about who is at the top, who's a good, good, good person. And I want you to think about where they are on the scale. And then I want to ask you the question... How good is good enough? Like, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. I mess up every day. And in God's eyes and in God's standards, how good is good enough? And is this good enough? Or or is that good enough to be made right, to be justified, to be seen as like, yeah, they're fine, they're perfect. How good is good enough? Now, if that's the scale and the person's on the top, what if I tell you that the standard is the moon? What if the measure and the standard is the moon? Then all of this, kind of irrelevant. 
Because the void between man and what God expects is massive. Like we all fall short. We're all going to miss this target because God's standard is perfection. God's standard is sinless. God who is pure and just. God is sinless. Jesus was sinless. The standards, the moon, were here. It's no good kind of saying, well, that's, they're good enough. But that'll do. They'll do. What if the standard was the moon? And in the letter that we've just had read out, we see that the problem is, no matter how good we are, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. So the Apostle Paul saying, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile, it doesn't matter what you do and the good things that you do, that's great, but if you're trying to make a scale to say, I'm good enough, you're never going to get there, because the standard's the moon. Like the standard is perfection. None of us are perfect. We're never going to get there by our own means, by our own efforts, in our own strengths. Because all of us sin. Every day we fall short of what God expects. And the problem with this sin is that it brings a void and a separation. We're aware of where we are. We're aware of what God expects. And we know that every day we mess up. And this void between the two of us is quite large. The problem with sin is it creates a void between God and man. It always has through time. This separation is God can't look upon sin. The problem with sin as well is that it brings an internal and an eternal death. Sin brings an internal and eternal death. It's a thing that slowly kills us. It's a thing that erodes at our faith, at our relationships, at our society, in our world. The problem is that sin is tempting why do we sin? We don't sin because it's bad. We don't sin because, oh, I'm sinning again. Oh, my goodness. That we sin because it actually is quite tempting. The Bible talks about gossip, and it says, oh, how gossip's like honey on the lips. Like, it feels good to kind of gossip, just to kind of say that little bit. It's like, did you know what she did last week? Like, in the nightclub, did you see on Facebook? Like, it feels good. And sin can feel good as we engage in the thing that we shouldn't engage in. As we're doing it, the problem is sin can feel quite good at the moment, in the moment. But the problem is that sin kills us. It erodes at our faith, at our life, and creates a chasm, a void between man and God. And there's this internal wrestle that goes on. Paul addresses this later on in his letter, and he talks about this sort of tension that he lives in. And he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. So he's caught up in these things that I want to do that, but I do that. I don't want to do that, but I do that. And he's caught up in this cycle. And you can find yourself, myself included, caught up in this cycle. It's like, ah, whoops, I've done it again. I've done it again. I've messed up again. Over the same issue again. And it's been the same thing that's tripped me up again and we could be caught up in these patterns in these cycles in these rhythms and it's just like we're enslaved to this addiction or we're enslaved to this thing that feels so good but we feel so rubbish afterwards this thing that goes on it eats away at us it kills us and god wants to deal with it like tonight God wants to deal with some of them cycles, some of them patterns that's just killing you inside. It's killing your friendships. It's killing your relationships. It's killing your thought life. It's robbing your sleep. God wants to deal with it tonight. And the cross has got the power to deal with it. I heard um, recently um, how Eskimos catch wolves in the wild. 
And what Eskimos go to do when they want to catch a wolf, maybe for the skin, I don't know what it is. Uh, no, no animals will be harmed in this talk, so don't worry. But let me explain what happens. When an Eskimo wants to catch a wolf in the wild, do you know what he does? He goes out into the snow. He takes a razor blade. And he screws the razor blade into a piece of wood. Then he buries the razor blade with a bit of snow over the top. He cuts his finger and he drips blood over the razor blade. And he allows the blood to go over the razor blade, over the snow. The wolves can smell the blood from a mile. They love it. It's like, oh, it tastes so good. Like, where is that blood? I can smell blood. We've kind of been lured into it again. And the wolves kind of go for the blood. They see the blood. They smell the blood. And they lick the blood. What happens with the wolves is, I can see some people screaming, sorry about this, but, but they lick and they lick and they lick and their tongue becomes numb with the snow. They lick and they lick. And what happens is, eventually the snow melts away. They get to the tip of the razor blade and they're shredding their tongue. So blood then, spy knows, like, ah! they're shredding their own tongue. So more blood comes. And they're like, woohoo, blood, more blood. Where's this blood coming from? There must be a carcass under here somewhere. And they lick and they lick and they lick and they lick and they lick. And they're slowly killing themselves. They're slowly bleeding to death. All the enemy, all the Eskimo has to do in this situation is simply go up and take the wolf. Drag it back. Because it's bled itself to death. This thing that tastes so good is actually killing it. This thing that looks so good it's actually killing it from the inside out. This wolf is bleeding. And I don't know about you, but I've been in situations in my life where I felt like the wolf. I felt like somebody who's just literally killing myself because of the patterns that I get caught up in, the things that I get involved in over the past and especially through my teens. Like some of the stuff, you know, oh Lord, it's just, you get caught up in these things. And you just need God to break in and break through, bring freedom, release, and buy us back from that pattern of, of destruction. This is what Paul is saying in the Bible, that we have been brought back from slavery. Last week, I spoke about the Apostle Paul saying to the church, he's saying, guys, you're trying to prove to God that you're good enough by the good stuff that you do, but you're actually being enslaved to it. The things that you think are making yourself good enough in God's eye, it just doesn't work. We can be caught up in doing good things, caught up in things that we think, oh, this will make God see me. This will make God recognize me. This will make God love me. We can also be caught up in things that we know are destructive and actually eat away at our heart, our soul, our relationships, our friendships. And the Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus wants to pay for that. He wants to break that. He wants to forgive you from that. He wants to bounce you out of that pattern, out of that rhythm. And he wants to bring a freedom for you. He wants to pay for the wrong things that we've done. Something needs done about this pattern, this addiction, this cycle that we get caught up in. Something needs to be done. A sacrifice needs to be made. And all through scripture, sacrifices needed to be made in order to bring a freedom to atone what has gone wrong, to make right what has gone wrong. Something needs to happen. The thing is, when we get involved in things that we know we shouldn't get involved in and that kind of ruins and spoils our life, we rack up a bill. I want you to imagine um, going out for a meal. So imagine going out for a meal 
And you're sitting at this restaurant and you're with all your friends and it's like you're maxing out on everything. It's like, let's get, you want a starter? Let's get a starter. So you've got starters, starters are going around. More poppadoms, more poppadoms. You're having more poppadoms, you're going for it. It's like, okay, move on to the main. You go for main, another main. I think I'll have a side. Do you want a side? Yeah, I want a side. Let's have a side. And you're having a side and you're enjoying it and you're just racking up this bill. Not really thinking about it, but you're racking up this bill. Okay, great, another pint. Do you want another pint? I'll have another pint. Yeah, if you, are you having a pint? If you're having one, I'll have one. Get me two, actually, because it's going to close soon, the restaurant. And you're racking up this bill, and it's just getting higher, and it's higher. Someone's got to pay for that. Somebody's got to pay for the bill that is being racked up. You move on to dessert. The bill's getting higher, it's getting bigger, it's a massive, long itemized thing now. There's 10 of you going out, and it's all racking up this big debt. Imagine going to the till, to the cashier, to go and pay. And as you get to the cashier and you want to pay, you're like, yeah, we've kind of got our money together. We're going to clear the debt, we're going to pay. And he's like, oh, no, 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 it's been paid for. And you're like, what? Like, what do you mean it's been paid for? I oh, know someone's paid for it. Someone, uh, did, they, paid for, did they get the start? Yeah, yeah, they've paid for the start. Yeah, but we've got extra drinks. Did, have they paid for, for the, yeah, they've paid for that. What about the dessert? Do we have to pay for the dessert? No, 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 it's paid for everything. Everything's been done. Everything's been paid for. What, even the, the extra side of chips? Yeah, 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 that was covered. What, did he leave a tip? Yeah, yeah, he even left a tip. Everything is covered. You can't pay for anything else. It's been cleared. The debt that we rack up has been paid for in full on the cross. That's got massive implications for us today because it means that we can live a life free from guilt. When we repent, we fully mean it. We turn around. And we say, God, I'm sorry. Because of what Jesus has done, we can live a life that's free of guilt. We don't need to be hunched over. We don't need to be drawn over by shame and guilt. We don't need to be weighed down. We can be free. And we can hold ourselves up free because we have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid. When we put our faith in that reality and we live it out, we're free people. We're free from the sin and the debt of sin. The, the death of sin that it brings because of the cross. Okay, but let's be honest, some things like the meal cost more than others. Some things are costly, aren't they? And th some things are relative. So, you know, somebody that was rich could pay for that meal. It doesn't really cost them much. If it was a rich uncle that had kind of called up and said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all my kids and nieces and nephews are out on a meal. It's their first time they've been allowed out. Yeah, someone's just turned 18. I'll pay for it. If they were rich, it's not a massive sacrifice. Other things um, are more expensive. I've started getting into whiskey. And uh, somebody gave me a bottle of whiskey. And I've discovered that some whiskey is worth more than other whiskey. Some bottles of whiskey are sort of 30 pound, some are 60 pound, and it goes up from 60. But I, I'm just blown away by how much people are prepared to pay for a bottle of whiskey. Okay, around where you are, uh, the person next to you, the person behind, however you want to do this, just have a little conversation. Have a little guess how much you think the most expensive bottle of whiskey in the world went for. This is in Edinburgh, just down the road from the church. This is in an auction. And that is the most expensive bottle of whiskey in the world. Okay, we kind of need some cheesy music at this point, but let's just ask around. What would you think? A grand, 500, pound, 2,000? What do you reckon? What do you reckon? It's going to be big. Okay, let's bring it in, let's bring it in, let's bring it in. Okay, 
if you think, if you think that bottle of whiskey, that was the most expensive bottle of whiskey, if you think it was over 500 pounds, put your hand up. Wow. Okay, hands down. If you think that bottle was worth more than two grand, pushing it now, a few, not as many. Two grand's a lot for a bottle of whiskey, guys. Um, okay, if you think five grand, Wow, okay. If you think that bottle of whiskey was worth more than 10,000 pounds. Okay, 30,000? Really? Um, let's do uh, 100,000 pounds? Less? Okay, what about 300,000? A lot less. Okay, okay guys, we're gonna go big, we're gonna go silly. Half a million. Half a million pounds for a bottle of whiskey. Okay, guys, I'm gonna have to go big. Okay, um, more than 700,000 pounds for a bottle of whiskey. One or two, one or two. Okay, little drum roll on your knees. Are you ready for how much the most expensive bottle of whiskey went for? In Edinburgh, in the world, it was bought by a man on, his, on the phone in a taxi in, in, in South Arabia. Are you ready? Here we go. 800. And forty-eight thousand pounds. Crazy, eh? Somebody did the maths this week, and they worked out that pretty much that's thirty thousand pound a glass. Thirty thousand pound a glass. You had a glass of whiskey. That was thirty thousand pound that you just drank. Absolutely crazy. Do you know the outstanding debt, the bill that was racked up? for our sin. Do you know what the price tag was on that? It was a lot more than that. The price tag for our sin was death. That was the price tag. Like more than we could ever afford, like cost a life. The price tag to buy us back was death. Death on a cross. Yet God still thought it was worth it. That has massive implications for you tonight. Do you know why? If you feel like you're not loved, just look at that. If you want to know if God really loves you, look at the price tag. Like he wanted to buy you back from slavery of sin. He wanted to buy you back. He paid the ultimate price tag, which was death. So we've heard about the problem. What is the solution? The solution is found when Jesus uh, dies on the cross, that God the Father in Jesus dies on the cross. He rolls up his sleeves, as Dave said this morning, and gets his hands dirty, stretches out his outstretched arm on the cross. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. This word, atonement, here, is the, it's the reconciliation of God and mankind through Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as the answer. The solution to the sin, to the death, to the separation, to the slavery God presented Christ as an answer, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be revealed, uh, sorry, to be received by faith. Now, we've got to have faith in that. We've got to trust that everything's been paid for. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to prove yourself to God. Everything's been done. Everything's been paid for. You can't even pay for the sides. It's all been done. It's all been paid for on the cross. If you put your faith in that, you can experience a life of freedom from sin and shame and slavery to it. Let me just end with a, 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 a story, a legend, 
of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, um, the legend goes that he was walking past one day this auction house. Abraham Lincoln wanders in and he's just at the back. And as he's in the back, he's not quite sure what he's there for, who, what they're buying, what's going on. But there's a big buzz in the room. And it becomes clear that eventually, Abraham Lincoln's walked into an auction for slave girls. So he's at the back, and these slave girls are being paraded and presented in front of all these men. And as the different young girls, some of them walk on the stage, the cheers and, and the, the crudeness and, and, and the, the rudeness just begins to shout and rise in the room. And as they begin to jeer the girls on the stage, like, yeah, and make comments about these girls as they walk onto the stage and as they line up. But there's this one girl that walks onto the stage and the room absolutely erupts. And the guys are like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the one. This is the one. And the people are starting to bid. And they're like, no way. Like, she is mine. Like, I'm, I'm, she's going to be my slave. There's no way you're going to win this bid. And these guys are beginning to bid on this young girl. And there's a bit of sickness in the room as people think, oh, wow. If you're, if you're willing to pay that amount of money for that girl, what are you going to do with her? What are you going to do with this slave girl? You're willing to pay that amount of money for you. What is in your mind? when you're purchasing this slave girl. What are you going to do? And Abraham Lincoln can't stand it. And he hears all the men shouting. He hears all the jeering. He hears all the prices that's been banded around and, and shouted out. And Abraham Lincoln can't bear it anymore. And he shouts out this crazy price. And the room silenced. And like, oh my gosh. A little bit like a whiskey. Are you joking? You're willing to pay that? For that girl, what on earth do you want that girl for? That you would be willing to pay that price for that girl. Nobody can compete with the bid that Abraham Lincoln's made. He's gone so high. He wants this girl so much. But he wants her for something different than the other men. At the end of the auction, the guys that had brought these slave girls out take this young girl that Abraham Lincoln had bidded on and won the auction. And she, they take her to Abraham Lincoln and they put her before him. And she looks at him now, her new master. And he looks at the girl and he says, you're free to go. And she says, what, what do you mean I'm free to go? He's like, you're free to go. He's, she said, oh, am, I, am I free to go? go wherever I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're free to go. Am I free to go with whoever I want? Yeah. You're free to go. God has brought us back from slavery. He's brought us back from sin and death and the destruction that sin brings. The price tag was death. But he purchases us and he says, you're free. You're free from all that. You're free from it. It's for freedom that Jesus died on the cross. He's brought us back with the price tag of the death on the cross. I'm going to invite the band to come now and just, um, just lead us into a time of responding. But I'm also going to invite the ministry team just to go and stand over there. And I said right at the beginning, I'd love 
to pray with people who know that you know that you know. I'm not living a a free life. I I need more freedom in my life. I'm caught up in stuff that I want a level of freedom in. Maybe you haven't experienced the love of God for a long time. And you're like, Lord, I want to experience that love that flows from Calvary straight to me. I'd love to pray with people. You'd experience and encounter the love of God that was demonstrated on the cross. Let's stand together as we respond.